Hi, and welcome to another episode of the MedTech Matters podcast, where we learn about somebody impacting the medical device industry. I'm Sean Fenske, Editor-in-Chief of MPO and host of the podcast. Today, we're speaking with Guy Harchin, VP Client Strategy at FreeMind Group. Guy, thanks for joining us. How are you today? Hey, Sean. I'm great. Thank you for uh, having me today. Uh, so a little bit different uh, spin on the podcast today. I mean, typically we're, we're looking at different technologies and a, a lot of medical device OEMs. Uh, today we're looking at what is undoubtedly a critical factor uh, in medical device uh, development, which is uh, funding. So, uh, Guy, can you tell us what the FreeMind Group is and what do you do? Sure. Um, no, no, not a problem. Um, so Freemind is the uh, largest, largest consultancy um, focused on, on, you know, globally, uh, focused on non-dilutive financing for uh, life science companies, starting from uh, pharma companies to medical devices and diagnostics, and of course uh, digital health um, companies. Uh, we've been around for uh, 21 years now, and um, have worked with thousands of companies over the years. Um, and you know, um, we are very excited to work with our clients that win annually. Um, approximately $100 million uh, with our assistance, which we take proud of. Um, in addition to that, we also see ourselves as uh, some sort of educators, uh, to be honest, uh, because um, we do like to bring the non-dilutive financing message to the life science industry. Um, so we do that um, through webinars and uh, through a, an annual event that we host in San Francisco um, every year during the J.P. Morgan um, to this event, we bring people from, from the government, um, government officials from, uh, from the NIH, DOD, um, and other agencies, which I'm sure that we will discuss um, in a short while, of course. Um, I will say that our clients are, um, you know, they come from anywhere from small startups, um, working from home, all the way to the big pharma, big medtech companies, and of course, um, um, uh, digital health companies. Uh, both from the U.S. and also non-U.S. companies. Um, I will say that um, over the years, um, I'm proud to say that we have perfected our method, and we actually take two processes um, with our clients. Uh, first of all is to understand um, the science, uh, the technology, what it is that mm -hmm. they're trying to fund, um, and then uh, to match that with uh, relevant funding opportunities um, and also to help them to actually define the project because you will be surprised on how many occasions, um, you know, people, companies, clients approach us and they say, hey, guys, we want to fund Project A. And then we discuss and we, and we talk and, and we decide, okay, what the project is all about. And then we realize that what um, a company may define as a project is not necessarily a project in the eyes of the NIH or uh, DOD or whatever it may be. So we do some slice and dice of projects and we match that with relevant funding opportunities. Um, the end goal for us is to have um, um, to set up the multi-submission strategy, that's how we'd like to call it, um, in, in a way to have as many shots on goal as possible and to increase and maximize uh, chances um, of an award. Once we decide on the strategy, um, then we um, start writing the applications with our clients. We help them to develop the application. Um, it's a back-and-forth process, um, and, and we, we take pride in, in this process. Um, we submit um, approximately 600 applications every year. 
Um, wow. So I think just summer, <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's, uh, that's a big operation. As I said, uh, we are the largest um, consultancy um, in this area um, on a global scale. Um, I will say, you know, just to summarize, I think that we have the three keys uh, that we are uh, strong believers are in. Um, it's patience. Uh, perseverance and process. Um, if you have the patience and if you'll be, you know, persistent in submitting grants application, you will be successful. Well, that's great. That's a great overview. But there is one factor that uh, I think we need to clarify. Uh, I know for myself and, and uh, perhaps for many of the listeners, can you explain what non-dilutive funding actually is? Yeah, for sure. Um, in short, I would say that um, non-dilutive uh, funding or financing is, um, in fact, any type of, of financing that has no strings attached to it, um, meaning that uh, the recipient of the award does not have to give any equity, future royalties, um, and so on. <laughs> in a way, I would say that non-dilutive funding, I wouldn't say it's free money, but it is money that, um, you know, no strings attached to it. So it, for as far as funding goes, it really is the gold ring. It is the it is the the funding or financing opportunity that uh, any medical device company would want because of that for that very reason. It seems absolutely, and for that reason, it is very very competitive, and that's exactly our edge, and that's exactly the value proposition because you know it is our day job, um, and that's exactly what we do. Um, and I think it's also very, very important to keep in mind that um, um, that uh, non-dilutive financing for life sciences is probably the biggest bucket of money available um, for life science companies. So, you know, just as a ballpark, you know, $50 billion every year, um, and even more than that, um, goes to, um, to fund life science research, both from the NIH, which uh, provides... Um, close to $40 billion, the DOD that provides $10, million, $10 billion, and other sources such as BASA and NSF and, and others. And actually, that was going to be my next question about who the sources are. So it's primarily NIH, DOD, uh, government, government agencies are, are providing this, this financing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, NIH, the DOD, uh, BASA, as I said, all, all of these are... Um, um, funding agencies uh, that do provide the support and and, um, and the funding uh, for this type of research, and they will provide the support um, for financing for um, any type of research, funding for basic science, all the way to clinical development. And again, medical devices is indeed uh, important, and digital health as well. That's great. Um, so, something you said earlier in your in your when you were explaining what the Free Mind Group is and what you do, you mentioned uh, having the ability to uh, slice and dice a project to see what maybe the the elements are, and and perhaps best match a certain uh, aspect of a uh, device project to a funding opportunity. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it could well be that a company will define a project um, as a project that starts from, uh, if we're talking about medical devices, uh, from uh, the PNV stage, the verification and validation stage, all the way to phase three clinical trials. Uh, but in a way, the funding agency will not define a project in that way. Um, so we'll have to take um, some portions um, from the project as defined by the, uh, by the company, by our client, and then tell them, listen, so the first preclinical stage or phase of the work 
will have to be conducted through um, a mechanism X, let's say the SBIR, the Small Business Innovation Research Grant um, available uh, by the NIH and DOD and other agencies. Um, and then, you know, the clinical development will be uh, funded by a different mechanism. And when I talk about slice and dice, that's exactly to understand that the way that the government define a project or the way that they the, uh, give out the money is not necessarily um, the same way as a company will view it. And that's exactly what we do. We actually, uh, in a way, um, we, are the, we are the mediators of, of this process and help companies uh, really to understand and better define the, those projects of, of theirs. Now, when and I apologize if you explained this earlier, I may have missed it. But when you're uh, when you have clients come to you to to you know seeking your your assistance and your help, do you first evaluate their uh, their project, their development uh, project, to see if it's first you know maybe a viable uh, project uh, first and foremost, or you know are you evaluating it from a from a scientific level to see if it's something that you, your, your group or your, you know, your experts believe it's something that can be developed, or is it more about matching the funding to a project regardless of its anticipated outcome? Um, yes, we do qualify our leads, I would say, and, um, and we do work with clients that we believe um, uh, they have the potential of being successful. Um, so, so in short, the answer is yes. Um, and we actually we are strong believers in the fact that you know if a company was able to raise um, funds, and um, uh, so we do uh, believe that the science is great, and great science is exactly what wins um, grants and contracts. Um, so in a way, yes, the answer is yes. We do validate that, uh, and we do wish to make sure that um, we are in a way barking at the right tree uh, with our clients. That's exactly what we do. So I, I think uh, so. I just saw a headline uh, this morning uh, in going through my emails and you know just quickly filtering through things that uh, uh, digital health is in a state where it is receiving uh, record numbers in terms of financing and investment. Now that's that's not just non-dilutive funding. That's you know private. That's you know uh, private funding. That's uh, investment groups, things like that. So it's across the board, but. Uh, from your perspective or from, you know, the, the perspective of FreeMind Group, why does digital health matter? That's a great question. Um, first of all, I think that we may be some sort of a history lesson, you know, just, just to start with. Um, I think that ever since, um, you know, um, the Obama administration passed the Affordable Care Act, um, it mm-hmm. became clear that uh, digital health is going to be the next big thing because that was – uh, they did put a, a lot of emphasis on that as part of the bill. Um, so obviously the U.S. government decided that, that this is something to, you know, that you, one simply cannot ignore. Um, and indeed, um, we see that the, uh, the various um, uh, government agencies um, do allocate lots of resources to that. And I think that in short, why digital health matter? Um, it's very simple. I think that... Um, you know, nowadays, preventative medicine is something which is very, very important. You know, just think about it. If you can prevent people from uh, developing um, a serious disease or, um, you know, let's talk about someone with Alzheimer's disease or a, case, mm-hmm. a cancer patient that you need to uh, monitor um, 
from remote. That's exactly the way to do it. In that way, they don't need to come every once, um, you know, to to the clinician, to the physician, to have uh, the monthly checkup or um, quarterly checkout uh, checkup. Um, they just you know, they just need to log into the app or uh, use the device that they have um, at their home, and then we can actually monitor them. Just think of how much we can actually save for payers, for the insurance companies, uh, through digital health. So preventative medicine, I think that's, that's the next big thing. And digital health is probably one of the, uh, the most important vehicles um, to bring us um, to that stage. Yeah, it certainly seems like it, and it, and it, it certainly had its spotlight during the during the past twelve months during the you know during the pandemic. Uh, digital health was certainly shining and and quite prominent in in its value being uh, on display. Um, so if yeah yeah so, if, so sure, by the way I, I I would like to comment if if possible. So yeah I mean no doubt that the past twelve months. Did provide, a, did provide us with, um, you know, clear answer, again, as, as for the need. Uh, just imagine, you know, uh, patients with, you know, other diseases other than, than COVID-19, because there are other diseases, uh, you know, they were able to communicate with, uh, with their physicians. Telemedicine became a real big thing now. Um, and I think that physicians, clinicians, uh, you know, healthcare providers will not be able to ignore that anymore. Yeah, no, it certainly doesn't seem so. Um, so if the if the government is in, interested, NIH, you know, BARDA, if if these organizations or agencies within the government are interested, is that where you're seeing more of the opportunities for dilute non-dilutive funding? Is that uh, are more of the um, uh, opportunities being driven towards that, or are you still able to? Uh, look at a certain uh, opportunity and, and tailor it towards uh, other areas? Um, yes, I would say that the U.S. government is um, highly invested and interested in the growth of, of digital health. Uh, I, can, I can give a few examples, if I may. Um, so, for an example, the Aging Institute, the NIA, um, interesting enough, they allocate one-third of their um, annual SBIR pro- program, um, you know, their, their annual program budget is around $100 million, so one-third of that, you know, 35, uh, anywhere between 30 to $35 million um, is allocated to digital health company, um, wow. you know, putting the emphasis, yeah, that, that's quite impressive. Um, yeah. You know, talking about the non-dilutive as a funding source, I can't think of many other uh, VC funds that actually allocate so much money to companies um, on an annual basis. Um, so yes, the NIA allocates uh, around, around one third of their uh, budgets, uh, annual budgets to the um, to to digital health, you know, uh, remote monitoring for uh, the elderly and Alzheimer's disease patients, um, mm-hmm. you know, just to allow this amazing population uh, to have healthy, independent living. And another example I would say is that the Cancer Institute, one uh, percent of their budget, which is uh, for the FBIR budget, which, which is around one hundred and forty million dollars on an annual basis, goes to uh, digital health. You know, for remote uh, remote monitoring and etc. Um, and also for family members of, of cancer patients. You know, because they also need the support. Um, so the NCI also take care of that. Um, other examples include the NIMH, uh, the Mental Health Institute. They have great interest in, in funding digital health. 
Um, you know, just think about it that people that unfortunately struggle with uh, mental disorders and so on, you know, they can actually use digital health um, applications in order to really get a very good rehabilitation programs, um, including biofeedback and, and, and other ways and other means uh, for rehabilitation. Um, interesting enough, uh, the NIH also has uh, the NIBIB. Sorry, I'm throwing acronyms at you, so I hope that's fine. Um, yeah, so the NIBIB, that's the Bioengineering Institute. Um, that's actually the, the main event for any medical devices and digital health. Um, and, and they actually they have their own branch, which is fully dedicated to digital health. Um, and they actually work very close uh, before NIH Institute. So, and I will say that, you know, when talking with program directors um, as part of our regular process that I mentioned before and also for preparing to our event as part of the J.P. Morgan, um, it is clear uh, that there's a, an increased interest in making more and more investment in such company and in a very versatile um, manner. Um, when it comes to the DOD, Department of Defense, um, their interest is somewhat uh, different than the, the NIH and and the Health and Human um, 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 Department, um, their interest is really in the far forward monitoring of soldiers and, again, rehabilitation um, and so on. Um, and I think most, um, probably the most important or interesting uh, thing that we, we see nowadays is that the FDA actually established a Digital Health Center of Excellence uh, last year um, with the end goal of, of providing guidance uh, for both industry and for the FDA itself, other branches, um, to, you know, how to guide them, how to create regulations for digital health. So I think that the fact that the FDA decided to allocate, um, you know, so much resources um, for digital health, I think that's probably, you know, a, a good indication that the U.S. government is absolutely serious about um, providing the support for digital health, both from uh, the regulatory standpoint, but also from the funding standpoint. Wow. Well, that that was quite extensive list, and there will be a quiz after on all those uh, all those acronyms. <laughs> so, sure. I, I, after all of that, I think I already know the the answer to my next question, but I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch it to you anyway, and, and allow you sure. to to share any final thoughts. And that is, you know, uh, hopefully we're coming to the end of this pandemic, you know, that's affected everyone. It's been horrible. But what do you expect to happen with digital health once we have moved past, whether it's next year or, you know, a couple of years, whenever the end of the pandemic is in the rearview mirror, uh, what do you expect to happen with digital health? Well, I think that if there's one thing that the, the pandemic demonstrated, as I said before, is that healthcare providers, um, really could take huge advantage of, of digital health technologies. Um, and in a way, um, the whole market became early adopters of such technologies. Think about it. Um, you know, healthcare providers actually didn't have any choice if to decide to adopt or uh, not to adopt uh, these technologies, and they were forced into that. Um, so I think in a way, uh, there's no need to educate providers because I think that, um, you know, many companies when they actually need to go into the marketplace, they need to convince um, um, medical care uh, providers that you know this technology makes sense, and they don't—they will not have to struggle with that anymore. And we actually see this with our clients. 
you know, um, two, three years ago, we actually didn't have so many clients um, that were focused on digital health. Um, and over the past um, 18 months or so, we see increase in such companies, um, and they come from all across the board, um, starting from women's health um, um, and moving to, as I said before, um, independent living for the elderly, and I think more, um, more importantly, because I think there is one pandemic that unfortunately will stay with us, and that's the opioid crisis. Um, yeah. And interesting enough, the Drug Addiction um, Institute, they also have great interest, in, and we were, um, we were fortunate enough actually to work with really a cutting-edge um, company uh, that developed a, a platform for rehabilitation from opioid and, and other um, you know, drug substances. Um, so that's, that's really interesting. And, and I have no doubt that the, the way that we see increase in, in companies, that, you know, the whole marketplace um, will be, um, we'll have lots of companies developing really exciting technology. Um, and, and yeah, that's, that's probably it. Yeah, no, I, th- I think you're right on it with, uh, with the, uh, you know, interesting technologies without a doubt, and it's great to see digital health addressing uh, so, many, so many different areas of, of healthcare. Um, and it's also great to, to, you know, get some insights on non-dilutive funding and financing uh, and, uh, you know, hear a little bit about the Freemind Group. But unfortunately, that is all the time we have for this episode of MedTech Matters. I'd like to thank my guest, Guy Hart. VP Client Strategy at Freemind Group. And uh, thank you, as always, for tuning in. So until next time, this has been Sean Fenske, Editor-in-Chief of MPA, saying thanks for listening.